how do we how are we going to make this different this is supposed to be a little bit different right well when we talked about this you said no it should be the same I asked this very question, and you said, no, we should just do it the same. Maybe I didn't like the way you were suggesting <laughs> we do it different. <laughs> but when I suggest we do it different, it's a totally different thing. <laughs> I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Going, going, gone girl. Nick Dunn, you're probably the most hated man in America right now. Did you kill your wife, Nick? Everyone told us and told us marriage is hard work. Not for me and Nick. As you all know, my wife, Amy Elliott Dunn, disappeared three days ago. I had nothing to do with the disappearance of my wife. I have nothing to hide. Sammy got friends we can talk to? No, not really. You don't know if she has friends, you don't know what she does all day, and you don't know your wife's blood type. Just being a good guy, so everybody can see him being a good guy. Well, you really don't like him, do you? All I'm trying to do is be nice to the people who are volunteering to help find Amy. I will practice believing my husband loves me, but I could be wrong. You ever seen that guy in the glasses before? Amy is the kind of girl who attracts admirers. Whoever took her is bound to bring her back. I'm hoping you can tell me what this means. You want to solve Amy's treasure hunt? You seen this girl around here? Yeah, I remember her. I know you. I saw you at the volunteer center. I wanted to help. What'd she want? She wanted a gun. We are all scared, but we are all here now. I feel like something to be jettisoned if necessary. I feel like I could disappear. We're here to talk about Gone Girl, uh, but before we do, we are doing now, we've decided to do these very special members episodes, extra episodes every month for your very kind members who are supporting us, and uh, we we just, uh, we gave it up. I don't even remember what our choices were. We, we gave it to the members to decide what we were going to talk about. How did that work? Yeah, like it could either be a classic film. Um, a film that would be filling a gap in a previous series or just an extra in the current series we happened to be doing. And our members uh, voted on an episode or a movie that would be filling a gap from a previous series that we had done. And this is a very early series from yeah, one 2011. Of our yeah. yeah. No, and, it was 2012. Uh, but it would be early 2012, is I think what I'm it saying. It was the yeah. It was like yeah, we kicked it off early. at the beginning, so that and we did our our Benjamin Button style David Fincher uh, series right. where we started <laughs> with uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo because that came out at Christmas 2011, and then so we worked it was back 2011. all the way. It, well, it, it started 2012. It was, our, I think, our first, like, right after our New Year's episode, okay. we started it, and then it ran all the way until uh, we got to, um, uh, I guess, Alien 3. I honestly don't remember now uh, if it was right away, but it was reverse. It was reverse. It was in there. It was very early, and it was backwards. Those are the things we're going to commit to. And uh, and so that's how, but the members are the ones who decided that. And so I think we just need to tell people, Andy, what would it take? If if, uh, if uh, members, I don't know why we're even going to plug this because it's only our members who are hearing it. Can, can I tell you why we're going to plug this, Pete? Oh, because yeah, go ahead. Everybody gets to hear this episode. <gasps> what That's did I right. agree to? This is 
<laughs> what have you agreed to? This is a members only episode, but we're releasing it for everybody to listen to because we want those who aren't members to realize that if you become a member by heading over to the nextreel.com slash membership, you can, in fact, become a member and support the show. You can get all sorts of benefits, including things like these extra monthly episodes that we're going to be releasing to members only. We're very excited, very excited to be filling in some holes with David Fincher. He's got some other stuff coming up that I don't know if you've heard. Uh, we might just have to make up uh, later as well. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to be able to make up a new series to somehow shoehorn Mank into it. I don't know. That is where we are today. We're talking about a Gone Girl. Yes, the film that came out after we finished our series, and it's just been floating out there <laughs> one day, hoping that it could actually be part of our David Fincher series. And now we have found a way. So, Ben, so here we are. Ben called me oh, and he said, he? hey, he? Pete, it's time. And he flashed that smile, you know, that mm. Nick Dunn smile. And he said, you've got to get Gone Girl on your show. It's time. And I said, Ben, you need to come and, and join us. And he said, I can't, I'm busy. I said, every day? <laughs> so he's not here. <laughs> Did you um, say monumentally busy? Right. <laughs> that's, that's what usually works. Monumentally busy, right? Uh, nice. I've seen John Cusack use that, and it worked pretty well for him. It worked all right, yeah. Um, so we are talking about Gone Girl. It is, um, it's pretty dark, Gone Girl. Pretty yes, dark. which fits David Fincher's Yeah, it does. body it's of work. Dark, dark and yeah. yellow. It's kind of jaundiced. Totally fits the Fincher. <laughs> um, yeah, how did, how did is... it hit you this time around? I really liked it. I had not read the book, so I was not familiar with the story at all. My wife had, and she was still relatively excited about seeing what Fincher would do with it based on Gillian Flynn's novel, who also happened to write the screenplay, because I think it was kind of marketed at the time that there might be a few little changes in the book for those people who uh, had read the book and were expecting something uh, the same. Um I don't know how much changed since I still haven't read the book, but I don't think it was huge. And inevitably, you're doing an adaptation. Of course, things are going to change. But on this watch, I relatively knew what the story was and how things were going to go. But I still found it incredibly engrossing. I really enjoyed watching these these complex characters. And I just, I had such a great time watching this film. It was dark. It was uh, twisty. And you're just watching... Really interesting psychological games uh, getting played uh, from beginning to end. It's it was just it was Fincher really again at top form, and it's just I, I want to say it's a shame that he left film for so long to go work in TV. But I mean, he made some great TV too. It's hard to argue too much when he has a lot of uh, interesting properties that he's been involved with. I had to go back and flip through the book. I, I did read the book, and there are a number of changes, but this is one of those adaptations, and I think it's the gift of having the author write the screenplay, uh, is that she, I think she astutely um, whittled it down for, for the film in a way that, that I think makes sense and, and works. There are some things that, there are some character beats that I think they cut uh, out of the book in, in that, uh, only a couple that I, I feel like are, are the are curious uh, one of them for example is it, you know they make a big deal in the book about amy's fear of blood like she's there's this whole sequence where 
you know, her mother's donating bone marrow or something and she uh, pretends to pass out. Like she's trying to, to kind of do that, those sorts of things that would be easy to do in, in the movie. And they chose not to, which I, I think was interesting. But those are by and large nitpicks. Uh, to what I think is an exceptional film. I am, I find it remarkable the number of people I talk to who are so moved by the darkness of this movie that they just hate it. They hate that the uh, women characters are by and large terrible. Um, that it is, uh, it's a movie that really celebrates Wait, that sort just of. Just to pause yeah. real quick, just to say women characters, it, they're specifically just a women character not all women characters are terrible well right? and, and or, so the case that i've i've heard cases of making you know why did they make margo so unlikable why did they make the sheriff so unlikable and sort of weirdly duplicitous wow. why yeah yeah like it's a whole case that's made around what is gillian flynn doing to women in this book because none of them are great is is the which i find fascinating it, it's never hit me that way but well, and again, there. not having read the book, I found Margot like an incredibly positive and, and loving character. And I found the cop uh, to be incredibly like straightforward, honest, just doing her job, not written like a kind of a little hillbilly hick cop who has no idea what she's doing. She actually seemed very competent. And oh, she's a real Columbo. Just, I, but she's very just meticulous and knows her job. And so I, I really thought those two characters were written really well, coming from old man. <laughs> well put, white man. Um, the more I watch it, and I think I'm, I maybe find myself getting desensitized to it, uh, uh, to to what she does. But I still felt like I was punched in the gut during the mid midway point the midway cut when we cut to her in the car and we're finally out of flashback mode even as many times as i've seen it that just the way he makes that transition is so artful uh that uh, i'm i am impacted by it i know what's coming i'm still impacted by it well and, and fincher talked about that transition and and the challenge of really focusing on the first half of the film, making this a mystery. It needed to be a mystery film with constant twists and turns and the way that the flashbacks would play opposite the the story beats and how everything would flow, building to that point where you have the reveal in the woodshed, which was just this big, intense thing. You've got this... <laughs> woodshed full of all the stuff that we know was purchased on the credit card because we already had our police officer rattling it all off saying this mm -hmm. is all the stuff that was purchased only to have him finally uncover it with a giant present right in the middle of it you know it's not good and you know that there's something something's at work here very interesting game that she had been playing but we just don't know what it is only to have it cut to black and then fade up on her as she's driving <laughs> it's like oh wow and then that's what the shift that fincher had to make going from that mystery he had to keep that mystery built the whole time and then allow it to just shift into thriller mode so now we know what's going on but it's just you know we have to now kind of go along with the ride and say, oh, wow, okay, I've totally just shifted gears. She's alive. She planned this whole thing. And now we're in on it with him and, or with her as he's trying to figure things out. And she's trying to figure out what her next plan is going to be. Like the way all of that played was just, uh, it was just incredibly smart. And it's, it's Fincher at his best, right? 
Yeah, it it totally is. And I think that's that's where like he he does adaptations well. I mean, he captured the sort of uh the mood and spirit of the book really well in this in this movie. I think it was it it's exceptional. And so, I mean, what's your take on this as an addition to his catalog of adaptation? He has done five adaptations now. Uh I mean, Curious Case of Benjamin Button is arguably an adaptation. Yeah. I'd say it's it's an expansion, if anything, of the original source material since it was a short story. Yeah. But that uh Fight Club, Benjamin Button, oh I said Benjamin Button, uh Zodiac girl with a dragon tattoo and now this it boils down to how does he relate to the material and can he find compelling characters that he can do things with that make sense and i feel like when he's working on adaptations he's really looking for complex characters that aren't just you know kind of the straightforward where the plot is the thing I mean, obviously, the plot is key, but he also wants to make sure that the characters have really interesting elements to them. So you're able to play subtext throughout, because I, I feel like that's something Fincher really enjoys working with is the levels of subtext that he can pull from his actors. And as you're watching this film and his previous, along with his uh, the projects that he's made that were original scripts. It all boils down to really compelling characters that have uh, strong, um, just incredibly strong uh, uh, layers of subtext. And I feel like that's something that he pulls on. And so I feel like regardless of whether it's an adaptation or an original screenplay, that's what he's drawn to. And he he works well in those worlds. I think I think Affleck's character is a great example of that, right? The way he handles Nick Dunn and the way he allows Dunn's complexity to unravel in the first part of the movie, right? In the first half of the movie, we'll say that he is a good guy whose wife, something happened to his wife. He's suspicious and suddenly he's a good guy whose wife left him. And then he's a not as good guy because he's not feeling remorse the way the public would want him to be seen feeling remorse. Then he's not a good guy, not feeling remorse the way the public doesn't want it, wants him to feel remorse. And he's having an affair with a student of his a college student. And uh, I think the way those beats are given to us in the first hour of the movie. I think it's just exceptional uh, because it allows us to have a long simmering arc with this character. And honestly, I think Fincher gets one of Affleck's best performances out of him. He he can be a little bit thin in terms of um, you know the the depth of character in his performances and i think in this movie i think we were a lot we we see uh you know pieces of affleck that um really allow him to shine his his talent to shine fincher actually even said that he was able to pull or not he but affleck was able to pull a lot from his character from his own relationship with the media and how he has been so grilled up and down in that world and so he was able to kind of find a lot to uh to draw from and that really helped i think as far as fincher was concerned to uh, to create a character that made sense stuck in that world that he was thrust in that wasn't necessarily a place that he wanted but found a way to adapt within it yeah i also just quickly need to mention the social network was another adaptation i had forgotten that that's right but 
Um, but yeah, was, but I do think that Affleck is, uh, he delivers a really strong performance here. And uh, I, I just, I really appreciate that Fincher thought about him as a, as the right actor to play this sort of role. And I think the way that he gets stuff out of his actors is, uh, is great. And it, it clearly worked here in this particular well, Yeah, case. it really did. I mean, even to the point where, I mean, Ben Affleck is a big, imposing human being, right? He's a large yeah. person uh, with big barrel chest, big arms. Like, he's just a big-sized person. And still, uh, at his darkest moments in this movie, I think Fincher really sort of figured out how to make him a schlub, him standing out uh, on the street in his sweats. Um, you know, he looks weirdly beaten in both. Well, and also he clearly does. He he plays a guy who doesn't get it very well. Like he yeah. doesn't he doesn't get. And I, I think I mean, one of my favorite performances in the film is actually uh, Tyler Perry, who comes in as his uh, legal defense later in the film. And he clearly understands what Nick doesn't understand. And it's the fact that, that Nick sees things as like, you know, the truth is going to set me free. And, and Tanner Bolt as played by Tyler Perry is like, no, no, no. It's all about appearances and everything you do is being judged. And, and he sees that when Nick doesn't. And the way that Ben Affleck plays those moments, like the way that he smiles when someone tells him to smile or, you know, is just posing and trying to be a good person. And thanking the makeup artist and things my that mother taught be me doing. to be nice <laughs> right right and he says that and he's just he's just doing what comes naturally to him and it's just it it's in the the way that things play out with appearances it hurts him and i think that was such an interesting um thing to see over the course of the film and i really liked the way that that uh, Cela Ward as the interviewer who who later talks with him kind of brings that up and has that conversation with him and it it he has he finally is like look i'm not the guy that people want to see i mean he finally i think clicks and realizes that and actually has that conversation because he finally gets it and i i thought that was a great transition for his character and he played it well yeah, well, and this is, since you brought him up already, this is my favorite Tyler Perry movie. Oh, I thought uh, that one of the Star Treks, whichever one that was, would be a <laughs> runner-up then, I guess. It, in many respects, he's the most, I guess besides Nick, he's the most authentic character in the movie, right? Because he is he's the guy who understands the entire machine, and um, he uh, he's, you know, he's going to do the right thing, and he's well paid for it. And he is not shy about about just leveraging his skills and uh, his ability to sort of see through the, you know, the mess. I think he's great. I really like him. I, he, I think, is just top notch here. I have never seen any of his uh, films that he's done, like the Medea films. Yeah. I've not jumped into any of those. Cross? Did you film? see Cross? Is that what that I was trying to remember what it was? I missed that one, but I heard that he actually plays that pretty well. Yeah, I, I would. I think that's true. I, if you're a uh, Morgan Freemanist, as I am, it's hard. Mm. Uh, but but Tyler you, Perry, you prefer I think, seeing Morgan Freeman playing Alex Cross. I sure do. I sure do. Yeah. And and I, I think it's just I, I became a, a little bit addicted uh, and Morgan Freeman uh, allegiant. Uh, in just reading all the books and i just that's the character that i've i've supplanted in my head over anyone else so it, it's hard but this but is, he is the great. character that morgan freeman played twice 
Yeah. Uh, the, along uh, came a spider. Along came a spider. And, like and kiss the girls. Kiss the girls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then and then Tyler Perry, I think, only did the one. He only did the and one. That's, that's it. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone else has played that character. That's true. Nobody else has played that yeah. character. Okay. But there are a lot of alex cross books and so gotcha. once you've seen the movies and kind of you know grown up with the movies it's hard to imagine anybody else in the role yeah. besides freeman he's great well i will say regardless of uh yeah. opinions on the alex cross movies i think tyler perry himself is an incredible actor and you watch yeah. him here and i'm like this is an actor who is present he gets it he knows how to play a scene he works well in context of everyone else that's that's in the scene with him, why is he not doing more? And and right. perhaps it's just because he's busy writing and directing his own stuff. And I totally yep. appreciate that. I I totally get that. But after watching him here, I'm like, I would love to see him just brought into more films because I think that he just brings a lot to the table. One hundred percent agree. Absolutely, I stand with Tyler Perry. Let's talk about our girl Rosamond Rosamond Pike. Yeah. Okay. So she's rough. <laughs> because you, you, like the performance is rough or you just don't like Rosamond or no, it's just the character. It's the character. It's the character. Yeah. And I think I wonder, I'd be interested. I haven't seen any interviews with Rosamond where she reflects on this, but I would be interested to know if this playing this role impacted her celebrity in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, for people who were deeply moved by this role, would it be hard to take Rosamond seriously after seeing her as Amy? Uh, or, or to, to be able to build a trusting relationship with her. I could just imagine, given the climate that we exist in right now, that, you know, her car is occasionally covered in chicken blood or something. <laughs> Well, that went dark. Well, you well, know. I'd like to say she ha we're not sacrificing her to an anaconda here. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a voodoo tone. Yeah. She's been very busy since. It's not yes. like all of a sudden, she like, it's been a halt to her career and a total shift. Yeah. She hasn't been in many Hollywood things, like big Hollywood types of films, but she has been very busy. And so to that end, I don't know if it's hurt her that much. Um I don't know. It's hard to say, but I do think that for a character that is so dark and complex, I, I think that she was a really interesting choice to step into it. And I think she brought a lot to the table. I think she's got this this kind of cold tone to her, and perhaps that's why she worked well as what was her like Miranda Ice or something in the whatever James Bond movie she was in. Um, she has that tone, that kind of colder tone. And I think that it, uh, Miranda Frost, Miranda Frost. Yeah, I, was, I was just looking for I, it. I went a little too cold. It's so funny that she's, Not she's ice, that, and then frost. she's, right. It, it's so funny that she's, I mean, the number of things that she's been in that, that we really, really like. I mean, even uh, Jack Reacher, um, World's End, World's End. Yep. um, uh, a long way down was uh, great. Pride Gone Girl, obviously. Pride and Prejudice, um, Hostiles, Beirut. I know mixed opinions on mm. Beirut. I, I, mm. uh, whatever. But <laughs> if you haven't seen uh, Radioactive, uh, it's absolutely right. worth seeing. She plays uh, Mary Curie. Uh, it's one of those. It's it's a tough take on Mary Curie. I'm, it's fascinating. Um, she's she's incredible, and you're right. I mean, she's been very very busy. It's not it's not as if she has. Um, you know, she's been a want for work for playing dark characters, but this one in particular, because it is a story of a, um, a, a, you know, a marriage, uh, inter this interpersonal sort of romantic relationship, 
that has torn asunder. This is, um, you know, this is our 2014 boiled bunny story, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that's really what this is, what this is, is getting at. And it, in fact, Flynn, Gillian Flynn is celebrating that. Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. And, but what's so interesting about her as a character, and this is where I think that the line is, fascinating for this story because i mean there are a lot of people who are up in arms with what gillian flynn wrote as far as her uh her antagonist here and and you know how she's you know it's it's a very misogynistic story and it's just like she really just wrote this you know she's writing women terribly and you've said in the book it's even worse according to some people about even the other female characters but but for our protagonist or our antagonist here who certainly kind of seems like a protagonist until the midway point, like you fall in love with her. You fall in love with this life that she has with Nick and you really feel like she's gone. Nick, there is he behind it? What's going on here? And then to have everything turn and you realize she is diabolical. She's behind this whole plot. She's trying to find a way to basically destroy him because he never lived up to the promise that she wanted and that she said that they made in their marriage vows and all that sort of stuff and really kind of gave up. And so she's dead set on destroying him until she realizes like late in the film that, that, you know, he kind of wants her back and he's going to like get things back to where they were. And like her brain sees all of this. And instead of killing herself and framing him, now she's going to like kill this uh, poor innocent um in in this ex-boyfriend, this uh, obsessed ex-boyfriend, Desi, played by Neil Patrick Harris, who does a great job here, um, and and go back to him and basically recreate this life and force him into this relationship to make him do everything that she wants and live the life that she, that she does, thinks she deserves. And what I find so fascinating is like, this is a woman whose life had always been written for her, essentially, by mm-hmm. her mother, who wrote these amazing Amy books. And when her, when, as she says, if she quit cello, Amazing Amy became a, an expert and all of these things was always better because she was the daughter that her parents wanted. And so she was always getting written into and and basically told that this is what we want you to be. And now she's and, and same thing in her marriage. And she falls into this with Nick and he moves to Missouri and she didn't really have a say and all of this sort of stuff. And she finally says, I'm going to write my own life. And she essentially it's a dark twist that she takes, but she comes up with a plan to write her own life, take her own direction. And she does. And to that end, it's a really fascinating character examination of this woman who says, you know what, I am going to be who I want to be. And I'm going to make my life what I want it to be. And I'm going to make you do what you told me you were going to do. And, you know, come hell or high water, that's what's going to happen, or I will destroy you. And that's the way it twisted. It's like, wow, okay really incredibly dark character but i can see why an actress would want to jump at the chance i can also see why some people are saying you know it's you know are we are you saying what are you saying about women and everything but is this movie good for humanity right you know is this story good for humanity uh and and i think it's interesting that that you know i mean she was planning on killing herself all along right that was the that was the plan because she's such a sociopathic narcissist that she thought that would be the way to make the greatest point and then she decides not to when the spotlight turns on to nick and she realizes oh no 
he's now getting some credibility. I need, how am I going to turn this back on to me? And uh, and that's when she goes with the kidnapping story. She goes to Desi. Uh, horrifying bit of sexuality in Desi's place. Oof, rough. But again, as you said, uh, Neil Patrick Harris does a great job as he is, is gets his throat slit um, in, in fragrante delicto. Super gross. In the book, I think she drugs him first. She drugs him and then kills him. I guess that's kinder. But I do want to go back in terms of her character arc and and look at when she was truly devastated, right? Because she is in a position of great power. When you say she's writing her own story, she really is. She's writing her own story, literally. And um, and then she gets all her money stolen. Yes. Um, yes. And and that is a that has that's a low point for a particularly low character. It really is, because as these other <laughs> lowlifes point out to her, they're like, you're not going to call the cops. You know, we, yeah. y- you're very suspicious and we can tell you're kind of on the run and there's no way you're going to call the cops. So, you know, tough. Just hope that the yeah. next people around are aren't as nice as we are, as they say, which right. is just a fantastic little uh, uh, way to kind of end that scene and point out, you know, there are bad people in this world. And for a person who's bad, who thinks that she's in charge of all the situations that she's in charge of, that there that she still is a very naive person. She's yeah. very much this, uh, you know, well-off hoity-toity who has all this money from her parents and really still largely doesn't understand a lot of the ways that the world works. Well, and you can hear it when uh, the Greta says, I don't think you've ever been hit, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. right before they smash her head into the wall. I mean, it's um, it's it's grim. And weirdly, you feel for her, right? In yeah. that moment, a little bit, you feel for her. Um um, because you look well, at how and much that's she's what's interesting sort of lost. Because you do kind of feel, it's interesting the way that you do end up feeling for this character. And that's what I think the strength of uh, Flynn writing this story and Fincher directing this story and Pike performing this role is that there is something about this idea of, you know, of marriage and you're making these promises to this other person. And you know what? Don't just don't just kind of like when things get hard and you just kind of collapse and all you're doing now is spending money and buying video games and you've basically become this loser. It's like, you know, commit to being better. And I, I she goes about it in a terrible way. But mm-hmm. I actually think that there's something really interesting about the that mindset. And she is not a quitter. She's a go-getter. And she married a man who she thought was a go-getter. And normally, I suppose people would just divorce if it's not going to work out. She does take it extreme. But she fell mm-hmm. in love with the man. And she's like, this is you need to be the man that you told me you're going to be. And I, I find that really interesting. And so there is something I find compelling about this character and the direction that she chooses in her kind of broken mind to go about it i find it compelling and i'm i'm constantly drawn to her as a character as difficult as that is and that's what i think is really interesting about these unlikable people and how challenging it can be to make stories about unlikable people but if there's something that that is still compelling even if they're not saving cats if there's something that is still incredibly compelling about them i still find myself really drawn to their stories yeah, I think that's the that's a celebration for this movie is that, that yeah, they're incredibly dark characters. I wonder what you 
what if you look at this movie as an example of something that's holding up a, or the story holding up a mirror for us right what do you what do you learn about yourself watching this movie if i'm going to say i'm learning things about myself watching this movie it's that you know what there are there are commitments that you make and there are choices that you make in your life and instead of just kind of quitting and just dropping out of it, you know, why, why not keep pushing forward? And if, if things get hard, find ways to move through that and keep working to be better. And I think that's an interesting point, if anything, that uh, the movie that I'm pulling from the movie. I, I, I think that that has become a tag at our house is, you know, when you're feeling low, what would Amy Dunn do? Uh, because <laughs> she's a real exemplar of, of perseverance for me i i think the uh the, it's affleck's character that i think is is the one that i i stick with is that you know when he is um feeling fully you know thrust upon by life right when when the universe is heavy on him and he is you know he, he says i don't have a job i've never not had a job uh and he's just letting his hair go and he's playing the video games all day right and and he's sort of confronted by um you know, just how far he will let himself fall when he feels like the the waves of fortune have turned wholly against him. This is one of those movies that I feel like is a it, it's a, a a morality tale hidden in a productivity tale. Like there is there is a way <laughs> to get over yourself because you know what it really could be worse, and Amy it could be Amy Dunn worse. Um, you know, but, but it could also be, you know, maybe you should put away the video game and just see what's out the outside the door. Um, so I, it, it's hard. These, these characters in general, that they are, they're writers, they're not great writers. Um, but they are, they have, a an ideology and an identity that is tied to being writers in New York. So much of this movie is like what, at what cost this identity and uh in in this case the example is hey we're gonna take you out of your identity and see if you can recuperate and rehabilitate and discover maybe who you are in missouri and um it turns out neither of them are are capable of doing that it makes the ending so much more haunting and painful when she comes back and and he at this point along with his sister with uh with tanner with uh with uh the detective they all now realize what amy had been up to even if everyone else like the media the the other police everyone buys into her story of having been kidnapped by desi and now she's escaped blah 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 mm-hmm. but the way that she now ties nick down and basically says we're going to have that life because now i'm pregnant i used that that sperm sample that you had left and now i'm pregnant mm-hmm. i'm going to have a baby and you'll never get to see it if you don't stay with me makes for an incredible ending that is just like a smack upside the head when you realize you know what happens when you get tied into something like this and uh, it's it's incredibly powerful and I think that also allows for this really interesting first shot, last shot, which you kind of alluded to. But that whole idea of that the hair. You're starting on her head and then she kind of looks up and you just hear him talking uh, and you or I think the first time you hear her talking and the second time you hear him talking and uh, the difference in her uh, the way that you're reading the scene the first mm-hmm. time kind of there's this love and this sense of 
connection between the characters. And at the end, it's this sense of horror and dread. And uh, I can't remember, I think, what his last uh, line is, what will we do? Yeah. Um, it doesn't it doesn't paint a pretty future do you the, do you believe it do you believe her at the end do you believe she's pregnant do you believe she's gone oh, to those yeah lengths? i totally believe you do i i do yeah, yeah. i mean I, I don't i don't know why at that point like it's it's only going to be a few months before he doesn't have to believe her anymore and can leave so it's it's hard to it's hard to jump too hard on at that point and say i'm not going to believe it now because uh, in a few months we will know for sure and i feel yeah, like right, right. i feel like she's wanting to create this this picture for herself and is going to do yeah. everything she can to make it come true now and okay. now she's, she can so yeah, right. Yeah. Um, we got some production notes. Oh, oh, Ben. Ben, ben is an interesting Bostonite, and I, I suppose I should just say he's incredibly passionate about his teams, and uh, he's a Boston Red Sox fan. David Fincher wanted him for a particular scene when he's at the airport, and he's putting a hat on that he bought at the airport in New York, a New York. <laughs> Hat that he could just quickly buy in the airport to quote disguise himself so people wouldn't recognize him as he's going through the airport. He wanted him to just put a, buy a New York Yankees cap. Affleck refused to to do this and would not wear the New York Yankees cap. He wanted to wear. He just wouldn't as a Boston Red Sox fan. Apparently, it shut production down for four days, <laughs> and um, they finally reached a compromise um, when he. Uh, Affleck agreed he would wear a New York Mets hat, not a New York Yankees hat for the scene. Um, I was listening to the commentary and, and Fincher was talking about that and how unprofessional it was and all this stuff. And I, and I was like, okay, is he, is he being serious here or is he kind of just digging at Affleck? You know, I, I couldn't quite figure out, like, are, are they just playing with me here or what? But it seems like this is something that actually happened and you shut down the the whole production. And and uh, it was an instance of an actor um, kind of pulling his weight to to make something happen. And it sounded from the commentary like Fincher was completely unimpressed with the unprofessionalism here, which is funny because then you hear them still praising each other and Affleck yeah. praising Fincher when he was uh, directing his own films and how much he learned from working with people like Fincher and uh, was able to pull that into directing his own films. And you have them talking about this moment where it's just like Affleck was just being a diva. Yeah, but I mean, it was a, it was a, a, you know, a complicated production anyway. I mean, this was something where you had, um, Amy's character had to go through a weight change. You know, she wanted to disguise herself. So it was gaining weight. So when she left the house, she would already be a little larger. And apparently, and I, this may be written more into the book, but I guess when she was at home before she left, you know, she had already been kind of gaining weight, but was hiding it with spanks and stuff like that. Yeah. And then when she left, she was kind of just, you know, enjoying it a little more, putting on weight so it, was, it wasn't as recognizable. But you certainly see that in her face. And, and, and Rosamund Pike did have to agree over the course of like 20 days to like gain 12 to 15 pounds and then immediately lose those 12 to 15 pounds. And it was a very complicated process with doctors and, you know, uh, it, it's in, inevitably puts health risk, put you at health risks because 
your body's not designed to go through changes like that, particularly that quickly. And so it was a very difficult thing for her, but, but she pulled it off and it's, I think it's noticeable and it works pretty well. And they still, you know, emphasized it more with some, you know, uh, fats. I don't know. It's not a complete fat suit, but just different elements to create more padding and stuff. But yeah, I thought it was pretty effective. They, they make a much bigger deal about it in the book. And I, I think they, they take it to the limits that they could take it in the, the movie. I love that they do have her eating that giant burger in the car. I mean, yeah. that's really the, the extent of her, um, gluttony on display. Oh no no! She's when she's with when she's with Desi. She's constantly eating pudding. Oh yeah, you're right. You're when right. You're right. Yeah. When she's with uh, the, the flan, the, she's eating both. The, she takes his, and that's a great yeah, moment. She takes yeah. the, right when she's eating. When she's at the the like I don't know the cabins wherever it is like the little place. She's always eating. When we see her there, she's always like m- munching on stuff. Um, even when she's spitting that's in funny. the other girls' drink, and whatever. So. Oh god, you're right. That was really gross. Those are like the fiery yeah. Cheetos. Made a note of those. <laughs> Spit Cheetos in the drink. And then she looks at it and says, mm, good, after she takes a sip. Yeah. So gross. Right. Um, the, uh, you this is some w- camera, some camera stuff. Though, I did. This, I had right? some camera stuff. It was shot on the Red Dragon, and it was shot at 6K, and that's something that Fincher really likes to do. He shoots everything as big as he can get for overscan, and then they they do center extraction down to 5K, and then they finalize it at 4K. And and um, But this this is just the the numbers are just extraordinary to me how he shoots they shot they shot according to Kirk um uh Baxter um editor it's an amazing editor um he he comes to uh Kirk with 500 hours of 6k footage uh ready to go and it doesn't fit on any of my hard drives because that is <laughs> 342 terabytes of uh, online storage with a one terabyte cache, offline 36 terabytes of SSD RAID and 60 terabytes of spinning disks, all run over a a 610 gigabit Ethernet network, which is extraordinary and amazing. But even cooler, uh, you know, for uh, Adobe fans, this is the first Hollywood production that was completely done, uh, edited and conformed in Adobe products, Adobe Premiere Pro and After Effects for all of the color grading. And to watch Kirk talk about it, he's like a proud father, right? The the levels to the extent to which they worked with Adobe um, to actually you know, build features into uh, Premiere and After Effects that would allow them to work the way they needed to work. And as a result, they ended up sending fewer shots than ever to outside effects houses uh, because they were able to do a lot of the really complicated masking and um, compositing and green screen stuff that normally they would have just sent out. They keep it all it, as much of it as they can in-house. And that was a real um, a, a, a big move for them to be able to, to do this on a a picture of this size and scale to be able to keep as much that they were able to keep in house, I think is, is uh, they're really quite proud of that. Um, And they, you know, they tell these stories of like, you know, doing these complex composites as he's coming out of his house and they've got, you know, they're adding trees and a deer and they're doing all kinds of, of crazy things that weren't in the original shot. And they're yelling over to the next, you know, VFX suite, like right next door, uh, rather than, you know, scheduling the work to go out to an outside house. It's, he said it was transformative in the way they way they do their work. And and um, he says, I can't ever imagine going back to doing it any other way. I think that he probably went back to doing it another way, but at least he couldn't imagine it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I don't know if he has or hasn't because he really hasn't done much else other than kind of Mike. working with, with Fincher. Yeah. I find, I don't know. I'm really curious about, um, about what he's been, uh, largely doing. And I wonder if, if some of the work he did on this it has kind of led him to this place where he's been working a lot with them trying to kind of figure things out. I don't know, because it seems like as soon as this ended and, and he worked with Fincher since uh, Benjamin Button in 08, he's been his editor. Right. So between Benjamin Button, Social Network and Dragon Tattoo, Apparently, with those three films, they're like, you know, we need to shift this over to Adobe Premiere Pro, which is interesting because um, Media Composer with the Avid is such a uh, kind of the powerhouse tool that everybody yeah. else uses uh, to switch over to Gone Girl. And then I'm assuming that they must have done that on Mindhunter because he also he, edited yeah. some of Mindhunter and uh, actually was a co-producer on Mindhunter, which I find interesting. Right. So... Yeah, huh. interesting, you were, you were interesting with story. Yeah. No, 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 and it was the same. That that's exactly you were exactly right. He said we we brought a lot of these into Mindhunter in one of their recent uh, um, interviews with uh, Johnny Elwin, uh, is a British um, uh, cinematography writer, and says exactly hmm. the same thing. He says, yeah, we, a lot of these techniques are over on Mindhunter. I fully expect another Adobe um, centered um, tech review once we get mank out in public you know we haven't talked through all of the cast is there anyone else you wanted to call out um i just i want to say carrie coon was great yeah. as as Margot. like i loved her character and kim dickens like those yeah. two i was just constantly impressed with their characters everything they did was just spot on perfect are we pals again well now that i know you didn't kill your wife yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think she is so great, Kim Dickens. Patrick Fugit uh, as uh, Officer James Gilpin. Uh, I think it's Fugit. I, is it Fugit? I, who knows? I think, although I he likes we'll it never when you know. say Fugit. Because it's, well, it's it's GIF. And so it it's, should be Fugit, shouldn't it? You're probably right. <laughs> if, that's, if that's your point of reference, yes. <laughs> Uh, I think he's great. He's uh, he's just a, a very young, innocent-looking uh, officer, and uh, it's. I, I think they make a great pair. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the others, uh, you know, Casey Wilson is, uh, you know, once you realize that she's not just the neighbor in her court, but she's the she's actually been played the whole time. I think that's fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. I think she's great. And Missy Pyle, I think, is spot on perfect as that sort of like Nancy Grace TV host. <laughs> she lays it on so well. Missy Pyle is amazing. She's so fantastic. But, you know, I think it, especially when you look at how they cast Celia Ward and Missy Pyle as sort of uh, 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 television Media opposites. opposites. Right. Yep. Yeah. They're <laughs> so great. So great. Um, yeah. And, and I love the interview. I think uh, Celia Ward doing the interview was just she's great. I would watch her on cable news i would absolutely watch her no uh, totally yeah absolutely uh hey, what do you, what, yeah, how do you feel about how do you feel about reese witherspoon as amy would you have bought her in that role that would have been bold for her uh at the time i think i think i could probably buy it more now uh, especially after the morning show mm. right like I was she's gonna say just, after wild 
I could yeah, wild too. That's another. That, that's another one. Like she just, I could, I could see her fitting more. To, this would have been that departure role for her, and I think she was still on as a producer on this thing, right? Well, that's what was interesting is, and I don't know where the change happened, but she actually first um, bought the rights to the book, like mm-hmm. uh, her. Her uh, Leslie company. Dixon, yeah, and she bought it uh, with her production company. Brought on uh, Bruna Papandrea to kind of help develop it, and then at some point when the novel came out, 20th Century Fox optioned it, made the deal with Flynn to do the writing and stuff, and then Fincher came on to direct. And I don't know where, uh, kind of at what point did Witherspoon drop out. I, I just I, I don't know. Or did she jump for, from the project to take on Wild? Because that came out pretty much at the same time. And while she was doing Wild, this was uh, this was happening. Like, I don't know how that all played out. But, yeah, she did end up producing it still. I, you know, I don't know. There is this coldness that I find in, in Pike that I don't necessarily find in Witherspoon. And so for that end, I, I would say that Pike is the performer that I would rather see in the role. I cannot I, I cannot see. Uh, Reese doing the Desi killing. Yeah, yeah, right? I can't do it. I can see her doing a lot of the other stuff, but I cannot see her doing that. Yeah. Uh, I think Pike does an incredible job there. Now, how do you feel about the music? I know that uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, some of their music that they've done for Fincher is the sort of stuff you have playing quite regularly oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> to kind of just listen to. Is this in that mix too? Absolutely. Heavy rotation around these here parts. I love this uh, score. And I think these guys are incredibly inventive and uh, introducing so many of the fantastic electronic tones and sounds. And and uh, it's just it's just great. It's haunting and um, provocative. And uh, I could uh, I get a lot of work done to my just collection of <laughs> this soundtrack and social network and and uh, dragon tattoo. For sure. Is this your kind of stuff? It's it's not very John Williams. And so I'm not sure it doesn't fit with a J. So do you listen to it these? Doesn't, they don't start with the letter J. But I'll tell you, I love what uh, Reznor and Ross do. I mean, Social Network, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo are incredibly strong scores. I definitely have them in my lineup. I don't find this one, weirdly, I was like, have I listened to this outside of the movie? And I'm like, I don't think I've ever listened to this soundtrack outside of the movie. <laughs> I, I I don't know what happened with this movie. This movie kind of hit this wall with Fincher where, like, I had seen everything else that he'd done multiple times and everything. And then this one I watched the one time in the theater. This was my first time returning to this film. I don't know what that says about how it struck me. But it, I, mean, I feel like I still really enjoy the film, but it just didn't strike me as strongly as some of his previous films. And same with thing with the score. Like, I listened to it and I was like, it's a really strong score, but it didn't hit me as much as uh, some of the other ones. So, yeah, kind of peculiar. Well, I'm glad it's back in your life. It deserves you deserve it. It deserves you. (laughs) We deserve each other. Mm -hmm. We're so cute. I want to punch us in the face. (laughs) Um, Where is the sequel? Right. (laughs) Can you imagine a sequel to this? What I do find funny is that Rossman Pike did say that if Gillian wrote a script for it, this was back at the time the movie was released, that she would absolutely return for the role. Flynn said she's totally open to the idea of a sequel, but she said, you know, it's going to be down the road a ways. 
um, and only if the original cast and crew could return. And that's really the last that's been spoken of it. I don't know if any of them were serious about actually returning to this world. It would be an interesting world to return to. I'd love to see what uh, Amy and Nick are now doing with their lives with a kid. I'd love to see kind of the direction that that takes. It's got to open 18 years later. It's got to open like the day the kid graduates high school. You know, like <laughs> it feels like, like now yeah, what? Now what? Now you're it's the empty nest. What did Nick and Amy do as empty nesters? What will they do? Oh, Andy. <laughs> How to do at award season. It was a popular one. It didn't win as much, but it still was popular in circles. Uh, 64 wins, 185 other nominations. Over at the Oscars, Rosamund Pike was nominated for Best Actress, along with uh, Reese Witherspoon for Wild. They both lost to Julianne Moore in Still Alice, a film I still have not seen. Over at the Golden Globes, uh, David Fincher was nominated for Best Director, but lost to Richard Linklater for Boyhood. Again, Pike lost Best Actress to Julianne Moore. The screenplay was nominated, but lost to Birdman, and the score was nominated, but lost to Johan Johansson for The Theory of Everything. At the Saturn Awards, it's always nice to see it popping up in the uh, Academy of uh, Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. It was uh, Pike was uh, nominated for Best Actress and won, and it was nominated for Best Thriller, and it won. And then over at the Golden Schmoes, it won for Best Screenplay and Best Actress, but lost for Best Favorite Movie, which lost to Guardians of the Galaxy. Best Director lost to Birdman. Best Supporting Actress Carrie Coon lost to Emma Stone and Birdman. Best Breakthrough Performance uh, for Rosamund Pike lost to Chris Pratt and Guardians. Best Music lost to Guardians of the Galaxy. Best Memorable Death Scene for Desi's Death lost to X-Men Days of Future Past for Quicksilver's Slow-Mo Takedown. And uh, the best TNA, Rosamund Pike, but lost to Frank Miller's Sin City, a dame to kill for, for Eva Green. <laughs> what a those golden schmoes in their categories. Stupid award that is. <laughs> yeah, De- Desi's death scene. How that could lose. I guess Quicksilver's slow mo takedown was impressive. I guess I, I just find this one to be like so shocking. And, yeah, I don't know. It just worked. It was it was a really strong scene. I'm surprised that it would lose. Anything. How did uh, how did old Fincher do at the box office this time around? Well, Fincher had a whopping sixty-one million to put his little crime film together, which is sixty-five point eight million in today's dollars. The movie opened October third, twenty fourteen, opposite Annabelle, Left Behind, and The Good Lie. It opened in the number one spot, which it held for two weeks before getting bumped out by Fury, a film we've talked about on the film board. It stayed in the top 10 for 10 straight weeks and then went on to earn $167.7 million domestically and $201.5 million internationally, giving it a total gross of $398.8 million in today's dollars. It is a long movie, but it still has a positive adjusted profit per finished minute, earning six times its budget and $2.2 million per finished minute. It's a solid performance for Fincher, but eh, apparently not good enough to keep him making movies, as clearly as those Netflix dollars were too sweet for him. <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet Netflix money. Yeah, it's interesting that he finally returns to movies, and again, it's Netflix. <laughs> right, right. I, uh, I, I am so glad that we're coming back around and filling this particular hole because it's it has been one that I think is is notably missing. Uh, I, and I, I'm curious I, as I'm I'm going through reading some other aspects of it and. So are reading some other um, critical takes of the film. And so many people believe that the ending is the unbelievable part. 
that uh, it's it's the ending that pushed them over the edge. And I'm wondering, did did any of this seem unbelievable to you? When they see the ending, they're talking about kind of the third act, like when the entire third act, the fact that she comes back and and yeah, she comes back and they end up, up living to together. Make him stay. Particularly the, I, I think the uh, scene where he is fully bought in with Margot and says, you know, you have to understand, I have to do this. I'm not abandoning my child. It happens quick. I mean, they wanted to wrap the story up, and I mean, you hit this point where it has to get wrapped up. And I just, I felt like, you know, she is clearly this black widow who had weaved a web so tight that he could not escape. And his options were to basically leave and possibly be destroyed and certainly never see his child or to kind of stick it out, mm-hmm. make, make pretty with her and kind of live this, uh, this life that she wants and do everything the way that she wants and uh, kind of make sure that he could be around to make sure this kid is, you know, somewhat taken care of responsibly. So I, I buy into it. It's a dark ending. And I think that's why people don't like it because it's, it's dark. It's depressing. It's frustrating that it ends this way and that she wins. And, you don't see that often where your antagonist wins and your protagonist is trapped like he is. But that's what makes for a compelling story. And I, I think that's why Fincher was drawn to it. I think that's what Flynn did well. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that it 100% works. And I don't have any problems with that. I, I think so, too. I think in, in particular, the, the answer for me is they built a compelling enough universe for this film and inside their marriage that by the time we get to that point, I was I was sold. Uh, yeah. So much the better for it. All right. Let's take it to the mat. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies that we've talked about on this very show. Uh, if you swipe over to uh, their show notes and tap the word flickchart, it'll take you straight to this movie where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours. That's right, everybody. Our bonus movies will also be ranked. That's so right. another reason to become a paying member. First up, Gone Girl or The Birdcage? Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Gone Girl or Time Crimes. Maybe that's the story, Andy, is the son is coming home with his new girlfriend and he has to break it <laughs> to Amy and Nick that he's getting married. It's the birdcage Gone Girl. Wow. <laughs> there's there's something it. to be said for that. Nailed I suppose, it. yes. Yeah. I thought you were saying with time crimes, like maybe he's no. going to go back in time, no. <laughs> oh, figure no. out a way no, to going... stop her before she ever did anything. No, no. We're going drag queen comedy all the way. <laughs> all right. What was it? Time crimes? <laughs> time crimes. Uh, I think it's going to be time crimes in this for me. I'm going to say time crimes. Yes. Yep. Gone Girl or Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Uh, I'll gone. say Night of the Living Dead. Uh, really? Night of the Living yeah. Dead? It's the original. It's the classic. It's uh, yeah, it is dark social commentary. All right, uh, all right, right. Really. yeah, all right. Gone Girl or Hero? Some Zheng Yimou. Hero. I will say Hero. Gone Girl or Being John Malkovich? Being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich. Gone Girl or the Thomas Crown Affair from 1968? Gone Girl. I will say Gone Girl. Gone Girl or The Detective, also 1968. I will say Gone Girl. I will say Gone Girl. Gone Girl or The Lavender Hill Mob. Mm-hmm. Oh, Alec Guinness. I know. And it's still Gone Girl. Hmm. Uh, okay. I'll give you Gone Girl. 
Gone Girl or Adaptation? Adaptation. Adaptation. Well, that puts Gone Girl in spot 225 on our chart. 225 out of 475. It is at 53%. That may be our lowest, lowest. David Fincher. Uh, let me check on our chart to see the rankings here. Um, no, weirdly, it's not. Oh, wait, hold on. Your ranking, Gone Girl, 225. The game is lower at 379, which is bananas to me because the game is much higher on my list. And The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a 292. Panic Room is 278. Yeah, we've got some re-ranking we need to do. Alien 3 is 376. Yeah, I can see we that should, one. We might need to just re-rank Fincher. We just may, yes. Yeah. How, uh, it, it's much higher on my list. How'd it do for you? Landed in spot 633 out of 4,497, or an 86%. It's even higher. Uh, it, oh, is it? It landed to me at uh, spot 84 out of 1,472. That wow. is a 90, 94%. Um, that is you high. Know, flick chart is what it is. What are you going to do? <laughs> What are you going to do? Uh, and and when I look at my my Fincher ratings, it's out of place a, a little bit because like my personal Fincher ratings, the top three are solid uh, for me, which is Fight Club Seven and The Social Network. Uh, but then is Gone Girl, and I don't I don't think that is high enough. <laughs> or I mean, I don't I think that's too high. I don't I think that's yeah. I don't think that's low enough because Girl the Dragon Tattoo, Zodiac, uh, Panic Room, like they don't, their Panic Room is number 10. Uh, that feels too low. We might need, we both might need to do some own, our own personal yeah. re-ranking of Fincher anyway. Massaging. Got to do some massaging. Yeah. In fact, so where did it end up two, with two of the movies then? on this, in my flick chart, it says that I haven't seen. So we well, should probably clearly. rectify that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, if I am to go by uh, the algorithm for letterbox.com slash the next reel, this should be a four and a half star movie, and I'm going to make it a four and a half star movie, Andy, with a heart. Are you? That is broken. From when I had first seen it, I had given it four and a half stars and a heart. I feel like now I'm at a four star and a heart. Uh, I think that maybe it dropped a little bit for me, but it's still an incredibly strong film. And who knows? It could go back up. It might. It might stay. I don't feel it would fall below a four-star. I think it's an incredibly strong Fincher work with incredible performances all around. But don't um, worry, because you're not going to watch it and, for another six years. That's right. I'll, <laughs> I'll put it on the back shelf. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I guess this was fun. This was yeah. our first of our bonus episodes for our, uh, for our members. And we're going to do another one next month. We don't know what it's going to be. We're going to have a poll over in our Discord uh, groups for our members and they're going to get to vote for a movie that we're going to talk about in December but um, if you are interested in doing that just head over to thenextreel.com slash membership and you too can become a member of the show get access to early episodes you can uh, vote in our uh, not just the polls for this but we have a weekly poll for our Saturday matinee episodes you can listen to the show early. We get, you know, members get early releases of the episodes. Um, you can also get to jump into the live stream. On, exactly. The yeah. live stream. Um, there's a pre-show chat with the film board. Uh, there's all sorts of benefits that you get if you become a member. And it's cheap. It's like, you know, a dollar a month or $5 a month. I believe those are the tiers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cheap. We're cheap. We're cheap dates. <laughs> That's what you're saying. We're selling it low. That's right. As little as a cup of coffee a month. <laughs> A cup of coffee and a Snickers. Is that, 
Is that my best Sally Struthers? It's great. It was perfect. Was so it? You was nailed it her it. who did those? You nailed it. All right. Just a cup of coffee a month. When the movie ends. <laughs> Our conversation begins. <laughs> 